back, we had a two week sabbatical and uh, we've been really busy trying to plan what we believe God has a vision for Fireside and this Acts 2.42 model. Um, you can check more about that on our, on our social media and stuff. You can talk to us about it. We are excited. I'm excited for Rhythms. Aren't you just loving Rhythms? That we get to be back here on Sunday mornings. And the good news is when it rains, we can go inside. Or when it gets too cold, they've opened up the inside. But we're just going to stay outside as long as we can because why not, right? It is gorgeous out. And so we're going to do that. And I'm excited that every Sunday we are going to gather together at Salisbury Elementary School, whether here or inside. And there's something special about rhythms for, for our household. We, we have two kids that are in full-time uh, school. And Blake just started kindergarten. So he gets on a bus his second day, he had a great first day. The second day he wakes up and I'm like, all right, Blake, it's time to go to school. And he's like, dad, um, I already went to school. I went to school yesterday. And, uh, and I'm like, no, Blake, you gotta, you gotta go again. He's like, no, no, daddy, you don't understand. I went yesterday, I'm good. And so literally I had to pick him up, kicking and screaming all the way to the bus. I, my heart broke, but the third and fourth day he did a lot better. But I, when I see them, there's mixed emotions from the Biggest emotion is pure joy as they drive away on the bus. We still got a little one at home, but we are getting excited for rhythms. And I know Kate mentioned a bunch, but we have a lot of stuff going on here. And I know it seems like a lot. It's like a, it's like a switch that's turned off and people are feeling overwhelmed. But I just think that it's about pace and just about getting into uh, a rhythm of, of gathering and worshiping. And I believe God is moving in this area. I really, really believe that. And so, actually, right before we started, we were, we were setting up, and these two ladies who were doing the whale trip heard these two angelic voices, Connor and Christine, getting ready, and they came up, and, and they were just moved by the, by the, the worship, and they were like, what kind of church is this? See, I don't want to be a, a, a church that judges people, because this is what people have told us the church is what it means to be a Christian is that it's about judgment that they don't really love and what they've done is they've gotten away from the, the, the true meaning of what it means to be a follower of Christ and I think a lot of us are in that same place maybe you grew up in, in, in a church tradition that told you that gave you one view of Jesus maybe you were a priester that all you did was go to church on Christmas and Easter or, or maybe you never have gone to a church Maybe you're here thinking that you were here to watch a soccer game, and lo and behold, you're a bunch of people sitting talking to a bald guy. And the bottom line is that we all have a different view from our upbringing of who God is, what is the Bible, what is Christianity all about. And as we were preparing for this new relaunch, asking a lot of you, talking to a lot of you guys, and talking to Connor and Kate, and this is the idea that we need to go back to the basics. What does the Bible really say? What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? And whether you're a scholar, a seminarian, and I know we got a seminarian here because I talked with him earlier, or you've never even heard anything, I believe that it's a good reminder that, that we need to go back to the basics. I put a social media and Instagram video up the other day about a story of Kobe Bryant. And someone watched him doing all these basketball drills and they were shocked because he wasn't doing anything extraordinary. What he was doing was just basic drills. 
You would think this superstar basketball player would be practicing his 360 dunks and all these other things, but instead he's like, you know what? In order to be great, you just need to know the basics. Theologian N.T. Wright went to a conference where someone talked about the gospel. For a whole day he talked about the gospel. And at the very end, someone came up to him and they said, excuse me, sir, all the stuff you talked about, how much do I need to know? And he looked at him and said, very little, very little. And so we are going to go back to the basics. We're going to go back to what God truly, truly says. And so we are going to start in the beginning. So if you have your Bible or a phone, this is going to be the easiest time for you to find today's passage. It's Genesis 1, very beginning, the first book of the Bible. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to kind of skip a little bunch of verses to get the idea of what's happening here. And so we are going to go back to the beginning of creation. Genesis 1, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens. And the word heavens here is not where God dwells. It's talking about the sky. God created the sky and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 10, God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Verse 17, God set them in the vault of the sky, meaning the stars, to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, so God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing in which the water deems and moves and in and about and according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And guess what? God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make us, I love that he says us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mankind in our image, in our likeness, that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. In verse 31, he looked back and God saw all that he made. And he didn't say it was just good. He said it was very good. Lord, I just want us to open up our hearts and our minds to who you are. You are a good God. Even when life doesn't seem good, we trust that you are good. Lord, help us to understand who you are and what you've done for us, Lord, that we may follow you. Open up our hearts to the, to not my words, but to your words, what you have to say to us. And then we pray. Amen. Amen. Whether you believe in, in, in God creating it in a long time or short time, however you read Genesis 1, the bottom line is this. God created it. God is a creator. And God created something that was if you were to go to our house on a giving day, and if I were in charge, I want to paint a picture of something that you may see in the Bauer household. We have three kids at home. 
if Kate goes out and I'm home, this is what you may see. You, you may walk in and see the car running by, by itself with nobody in it, and you would think that was odd. Then you'd go to the front door, and the front door would be locked. But that would be odd because you know people are in it, and the car is running, so why is the door locked? If you were to walk in, you would see my 20-month-old uh, watching Coco Melon on the couch eating a chocolate bar, and you would think this is really odd and not good. You would hear my boy screaming on the top bunk of his bunk bed and, and no ladder to get down and just screaming, throwing uh, toys off the pot, pot bunk, and you think that's just really odd. And then you would hear the shower running with my daughter in the shower, and you would say, well, that's odd because it's only 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And you would think, well, what's going on here? And I want to give you the whole picture. If Kate were to come home in that situation, she would come in like, Andy, what are you doing? I said, Kate, you don't know the whole picture. This is what happened. It all started when I wanted to have macaroni and cheese for the kids. But we ran out of macaroni and cheese. So I said, let's go out and get takeout. So we all get in the car to get takeout, turn the car on, and my oldest girl throws my middle boy's toy in the woods. He starts freaking out, hits her. So I put him in timeout, but he keeps running after her, so I have to put him in a place that's contained. So I put him on the top bunk, and I take the ladder away. He's screaming. <laughs> then, then, Emmy, I find out who, I told her to go get the toy. She comes out, and I realize that the woods is filled with poison ivy. So I throw her in the bath so she can get rid of the poison ivy. The whole time, my 20-month-old is running like a kamikaze in the middle of the road. So I get him, bring him inside, but he keeps screaming. And so I lock the door so he can't get out. He's screaming. I try to put him in, in, in the watch something, but he doesn't care. And so out of desperation, I throw him a chocolate bar. You don't know the whole story. Any parents feel what I'm feeling right now? So if you were to walk into that, you say, you know what, kids should only have like, like one hour of screen time a week. I'm like, I know, but I'm desperate. You don't know the whole story. And I think this is the same with our faith. When we look at the Bible, the Bible is one unified story. It's a bunch of books. It didn't fall from heaven. that just appeared. God inspired uh, authors narrative, stories, all the points of who he is. It's a collection of 66 books. It's more of a library than it is a book. And it just doesn't tell multiple stories. It is one story. And if you were to open the Bible in the middle, you would think, well, this is odd. Well, why did this happen? This is odd. Why did God do this? It doesn't make any sense. And it won't make sense until you have the whole Story. It's like looking at a kid on the top bunk screaming, like, that's odd. Let me tell you the whole story. So what I would like for us to do is to talk about the whole story. If you go to Acts 7, you don't have to go there, you can just mark it up. Stephen, right before he gets stoned, the church is launched, Jesus is resurrected, and right before he gives up, he gives this really awesome sermon. It's a whole chapter long, too long to read it, and it starts with Adam, it goes all the way to Jesus, and he's trying to connect the dots. It's a big story. So let's start with us. A lot of people ask, well, why did God create us? And, and honestly, I don't know. But what I do know is here we are. We exist. Here you are. And I'm glad you exist. And I, and I hope that you're glad I exist. So God created us. And, and he made us different 
than anything else he created. We are in his image. He created us uniquely to help him govern the world, to govern his creation. He put us in this world to have a relationship with him. We are different than anything else. When I was in third grade, I remember watching a documentary that a, some substitute put in on the VHS. Remember they rolled in the cart, the big box TV, and they pressed play, and then the sub would go back and read her book, and we would just watch this video, and it was about hippos. And it was about a mom and a dad hippo, and they gave birth to a beautiful baby hippo, and, and the whole thing was really fascinating. I'm like, this is amazing. And at the very end, the very end, after you watch this baby hippo being being brought into the world and the parents caring for it and, and the, the narrator says and then the father hippo afraid that the baby hippo would take over his hippo tribe killed his son and ate him and it shows him jumping and all the kids are like what's happening and the substitute teacher gets her book out and press stops and I remember thinking whoa we're so different than animals if I were to like be afraid that my son would take over my family and, and did that, like I would be in jail. We would say, that's not right. But at the end, they said, well, that is nature. And the reason why I say this, I want us to understand that we have a distinct, we are distinct from anything God created. We are special and we are made in his image. And God put us on the earth. And a lot of us will say, well, well why didn't God, give, why did God give us a choice? Why didn't God make us acknowledge him, love him, and follow him. And to that point, I say that is not true love. That's not a relationship. That's enslavement. God wants a relationship with us. God wants us to choose to follow him. If we don't have a choice, then we're just mindless robots on this earth. And so God wants us to pursue him. We went to the beach and Blake got all these crabs. And he said, Dad, Dad, these crabs love me. He named them Lemur and Cooper. And these crabs are trying everything to escape the mammoth hands of my son. And I said, Blake, Blake, you know, like we gotta we gotta go, let them loose. He said, No, 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 Dad, they love me. Son, I don't think they love you. They just can't get away from you. And so well, true love is like, right, put them on the ground. And I said, Blake, if they follow you and come with us to the car, then, then we can take him home. Like, okay, put them down. And what do they do? They start sprinting towards the ocean and burying because they truly didn't love them. And, and this is what we want God to do, right? We want God to put a leash on us and say, you know, you know, force us to love him. But that is not love. That is enslavement. Because we have a choice. So what did we do with this choice? Let's read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and I want to preface this in Genesis 2. Uh, God says, in the middle of the garden was a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, do not touch this tree of good and evil, for you will surely die. In chapter 3, verse 1 of Genesis, you can read along with me. Now the serpent, serpent was Satan, was craftier than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must touch it or you will die. You will not 
certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But, the, but God had called the man, where are you? He answered, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, <laughs> you put me here. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And that flooded in death into the world. The choice that they made is a choice that we make all the time. And what they did Instead of obeying what God said is good, they wanted to decide what was good and what was bad. Isn't this the heart of the problem that we have in this world? You turn on the news and what you see is you see a bunch of people who are deciding what they think is good. And you may disagree with that, but they want to play God and say, I, I decide that this is good. Therefore, I'm going to do it. Ignoring what God says is good. This is the problem that we all have. God has a mark for us. He's like, I want you to hit this mark. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to obey. This is how you can do what I say is good if you hit this mark. And what we do is we miss the mark by deciding what we think is good. And what that means is we sin. And I know sin is a loaded word, and people are like, well, I, I don't like talking about that. That's a religious word. But basically, sin is just, the definition of sin is missing the mark. So God is saying that you have missed the mark. You have decided what is good, and you have ignored what I thought was good. Therefore, you have sinned. When I was a kid, I took piano lessons, and I was learning Beethoven's Fifth symphony, you know, da 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 da, da 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 da, da 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 da. And I want you to know that I'm not some kind of prodigy. It was really just a single hand playing it. It was like two notes, so it wasn't much. And so, as I was practicing this for my middle school piano teacher, I couldn't figure out one part of the the the, the song. So I made my own part of the song. And so I would play it, and then I finished it my own, Andy Bauer style. And when I performed it for my teacher, my teacher said, hey, Andy, um, you're playing that wrong. I said, no, no, teacher. I, I like this version better. And my teacher looked at me and said, so you're saying you know better than Beethoven? who composes, who wrote this song, one of the most, you know, uh, uh, talented musicians of our time. You know better, and I looked at her and said, yep. 
Isn't this what we do with God? That we will decide what is good. And, and it's almost a saying like, God, the creator of the world, who created everything good, who created you, you're saying, you know better than God. And we look up and say, yep. I know better. And I hope you're re listening to this thinking, well, that is ludicrous. But this is what we do over and over and over again. And here's why. Because there's a real enemy. Satan is on this world, and he's trying to take you away from what God wants you to do that is good. And he does two ways. These are two tactics that help us just go against God. He does two things. First, he says he doubts, he makes us doubt, and then he makes us deny. He goes to the woman, and he says, well, did God really say you shouldn't do that? Many of us will do the same thing. Does God really want me to do this or do that? I mean, I look in the Bible, but this is culturally irrelevant. This is the year 2021. Things have changed, so I don't know if God really meant what he said. Did God really say that? And then we get some doubt in our head. And then we start thinking, well, I'm looking at the world, and not only do I doubt what he said, I doubt if he even exists. But is God really true? Is he really alive? I mean... God created the world? I don't know. And this is what Satan wants you to start doubting, start doubting, start doubting. And then, when we get to our, our part where we're just a mess and we're doubting, he makes us deny. He, he shows us something that we think is worth going against what God thinks is good. And he says, look at it. Look how good it is. God, God doesn't want the best thing for you. He starts pinning you against God. No, no, no. God knows if you do this, this is the best for you. And, and, and you can't do this if you say, well, you know, maybe maybe this is the best for me. And then we will start to decide, no, you know what? It is actually good if I do this, even though God says it's not good. I'm going to be God. I'm going to decide what is good and wrong. And then all of a sudden, sin comes rushing into our life. Because a lot of times we will worry about what happens after if I don't do what I think is good, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. There's a pastor down south named Andy Stanley. He tells a story of his father, Charles Stanley. You may have seen him on TV. And he had this decision to make. And the decision was going to be um, a decision that, that could cause a lot of repercussions. If he made the right choice, it could mean that his church would fall apart. And, and I don't know the details of it. It was just, if he did the right thing, it could mean that he would lose a lot. And he came to the conclusion, and he says this, my responsibility is to obey God and leave the consequences to him. His son sums it up saying, outcomes are not our responsibility. We are called to obey God and let the outcomes are up to him. But what we want to do is we want to say, no, no, no. I can't have this outcome, so I'm going to go against God, and we lose trust in what God has given us to do. And then God says, he looks for us. And this is kind of what I want to land the plane a little bit today, because God is trying to restore a broken relationship with us. He says, what have you done? And he's hoping that they say, you know what, God, we went against what you wanted to do. We are sorry. Forgive us for eating the tree that you told us not to, to, to eat. And let's go on our merry way. But they don't do that. Because when God says, 
when God, when we ask God for forgiveness, we are acknowledging, I want to restore this broken relationship. When we tell our kids to say sorry, there's two ways to do it. They can say, say, say sorry for throwing your, your brother's toy in the woods. And he's like, sorry. Sorry. And they don't mean it. But what we try to say is, you need to say sorry and please forgive me for, and sorry, forgive me for throwing your toy into the woods. Because when you do that, you're acknowledging what I have done was missing the mark. And that's what God wants to do. But here's what we often do. We start giving excuses. The first thing that Adam does is he throws his wife under the bus. Adam, what'd you do? He did it. She, she made me do it. That's bad. But you know what's even worse? He blames God. He says, the woman, God, you put here. You, God made me go against what you wanted. You put me in a position which I couldn't refuse. It's your fault, God. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but how many times have we done that? We, we, we go against what God wants us to do, and then we start saying, hey, God, you know, if you had been there when I wanted you to be there, or God, if you've given me extra power, if you never let the circumstance happen, God, I'll, actually, it's your fault. And this is our problem. And then, and then Eve, she blames Satan. And God could just say, well, what are you listening to him for? He's a snake. And we'll do the same thing. Well, well, well the enemy made, made me do it. Like, God's like, of course you shouldn't do what the enemy tells you to do. If the enemy told you to jump off a bridge, would you do it? And we give these excuses. We blame God. We blame people. We blame circumstances. And if you're like me, after a year that we've had, We'll look at all the evil in the world and we say, God, get rid of it all. I like what I read in Genesis chapter 1, verses the first 20 or 30 verses. That's good to me. Let's go back to the garden where we would dwell together. Let's go back to the creation that was good before all the stuff happened, before death entered. Let's go back to that part of the Bible and God saying, that's exactly what I'm intending to do. I am going to rid this world of evil. And we cheer, right? Yes. We cheer. For me, this has been my plea over and over again. Just get rid of it. Get rid of, get rid of the loneliness, the emotions. Get rid of cancer. Get rid of the evil. This world is broken. Get rid of what the Taliban's doing. Get rid of what your boss is doing. Get rid of what your neighbor has. Just get rid of the evil in this world. And God said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm planning to do. But, but here's the problem. The title of today's sermon is The Problem. And here's the problem. We are all sinners. And you may be thinking, well, you know, I miss the mark sometimes. But so-and-so misses the mark all the time. And that may be true. But if you're going to take two clean cups of water, and if you're going to put a handful of dirt in one and sprinkle dirt in the other, you're not drinking either of those cups because they're both dirty. So whether you miss the mark, you sin a little bit, or you sin a lot, you are all sinners. And because you're all sinners, evil has entered inside of us. And so when we say, God, get rid of evil in this world, God say, I'm planning on doing it, but here's a problem. That means I need to get rid of you. 
Because evil's inside of you. I said sin equals death. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. He also says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of hitting the mark. And so if you want me to do what you want, if I'm going to do what you want me to do, i got to get rid of you. i got to kill you. And then we take a step back and like, oh, goodness, get that. That's not really what I meant. I can have an exception, right? Like, no, 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 I need to restore a relationship with you. If you want to have what I want to give you, you need to acknowledge that I exist, that I'm here. Let's restore this relationship. And so if you're looking at the world right now and you're thinking, well, this is a broken, broken world. God is in the plan of restoring it. But there's a problem. We are the problem. You have all, me, have all contributed to the brokenness of this world. It's the evil inside of us. And I know we live in a PC culture, and a lot of you like, well, come on, are you calling me a sinner? I'm absolutely calling you a sinner. We are all broken. And we don't want God to kill us. We don't do we don't want to die. So God gives us a solution. And the whole Old Testament is this big setup. And he says, before Jesus came, he has these animals that you sacrifice. He said, instead of killing you, kill this animal. And he, and, he, and he keeps doing it. You know, in the New Testament, the disciples go up to Jesus. Well, how many times do we forgive? Just once, twice? They're thinking, the third time we forgive, it's done. Let's just send a uh, uh, lightning bolt to kill them. No, no, you forgive them 70 times, seven times. You just keep forgiving them because that's what God has done for you. I'm going to ask Connor and Christine to come up as we close out here. And here's what I want you to know, that God has not given up on you. I want to close and read Isaiah 65. This is Old Testament. This is before Jesus. This is what before Jesus has even entered into the scene on this earth. This is before he's come. This is Old Testament. This is a prophet. God spoke to Isaiah and said, tell my people this. And i got to tell you honestly, I've read this many, many times. But reading this after losing my daughter in February has a new meaning for me. And he says this in verse 1 of 65 in Isaiah. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here I am, here I am. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, who pursue their own imagination. See, God, it is on a relentless relationship with you. We keep walking away, and God keeps showing up. We keep denying, and God gets in front of us. God has not given up because he doesn't want us to have the death that we deserve. And he's desperately coming after us. He's walking in the garden looking for us. Where are you? Where are you? And are you standing up and saying, I'm here. I messed up. I need to restore this relationship. But instead we say, no, 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 no. God, I, it's your fault. It's their fault. I'm good. He's like, no, no, no. I'm good. You're not. And then he says this in verse 17, and I love this. He says, see, I will create, God will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. 
For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. And I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. And an old man who does not live out his years. So you can look at God in two ways. You can label God a God who's allowed brokenness and evil to come in this world that we have to deal with. God of wrath, a God who's just mean. You can look at God like that. Or you can say, you can look at a God who's given us choice. And even though we choose to go against God, he continues to pursue us relentlessly. He continues to chase after us. And no matter how far away we go, no matter how far we run, when we turn to God, his hands are wide open. So he come to me. You can't outrun God. You can't outrun his grace. God wants you to restore his relationship with you. And the problem of evil in us that he's going to get rid of, we're going to talk about next week when we talk about the solution. Now I want to give you a little teaser. This is the Bible verse that everybody probably knows. This is the Bible verse that the kids are learning. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. So God so loved you that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his son. Why? For the evil that he's getting rid of, we don't go out with the bath water. But we can be saved. So if you're wondering, how is this world broken? I hope your eyes are opened up. That this is not God's fault, this is our fault. God created something good, and we chose to do what we thought was good. And at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 50, verse 20, Joseph, who just had a lot of things happen to him, he got sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was in prison, he got wrongly accused. He finally gets to be the second command in all of Egypt, and he saves the world through, through storing up food to feed the world. And his brothers come, thinking that he's going to kill them. And this is what Joseph says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for the good to accomplish what now is being done, the saving of lives. And another way of saying it is this. You did what you thought was good. But God has used what you thought was good to do what is really good. And even when we choose wrong, God is still there to help us choose right. God is after us, pursuing us. Would you decide... What God says is good, not what we decide is good. Lord, we just pray right now, Lord, that everyone here, Lord, that we would recognize a problem is not with God, but the problem is with us. That we have missed the mark over and over again. That we have decided what is good, ignoring what God said was good, and we've done our own thing. And Lord, we want to restore that relationship, and we are coming to you and say, God, no, you're right, I missed the mark. Forgive me for I received 